This is the Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast, presented by eCity Interactive. eCity creates websites, marketing campaigns, and magic for higher ed institutions, large and small. Every digital challenge has a solution. eCity's talented team of problem solvers will help you find yours. And now, here's your host, Stephen App. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast. I am your host, Stephen App. Uh, we have a really cool show today. We haven't gotten to do this yet on this podcast, but uh, my guest is Dean David Boardman of Temple University's Lou Klein School of Media and Communication. Uh, you know, across you know across the country on campuses, admissions departments are right now making their final push for enrollments and advancement offices are making their final push for donations before the end of the fiscal year on June 30th. And when it comes to communicating with alumni or prospective and current students, you know, few things are as rare or as appealing as a socially active and engaging academic dean. And that's why I'm really particularly excited to have uh, Dean David Boardman on the show today. Dean Borman joined Temple University in the fall of 2013, and in that time, he has raised uh, nearly $14 million for the school. They've led major strategic initiatives uh, that have really raised its profile and its standing, including uh, recent renaming of the Lou Klein School of Media and Communication. But I think what's more interesting about today is that Dean Boardman has a self-described non-traditional academic background before joining Temple. Uh, Dean Boardman was the executive editor and senior vice president of the Seattle Times, uh, the largest news organization in the Pacific Northwest, which under his leadership won four Pulitzer Prizes and produced 10 Pulitzer finalists. So really fun show today. Uh, Dean Boardman, thank you so much for joining the Hashtag Higher Ed podcast. Thanks for having me, Stephen. I'm uh, really happy to be here. You were an early adopter of Twitter. I, th- I think you joined in 2009, um, and you've remained active on the platform during your transition from the Seattle Times to Temple University. I'm curious if you could talk about what originally appeal you know appealed to you about the platform, and what still appeals to you about the platform. Well, how I got onto it actually is, a, I think, a, an interesting story. Um, in uh, late in 2009, um, when I was the editor of the Seattle Times, we had an incident in which uh, four police officers were assassinated point blank by uh, somebody who should have been in prison and had been released by actually by Governor Mike Huckabee, who was at the time a potential presidential candidate. And there was and the guy shot these these cops and then escaped. So there was a region wide manhunt. Um, for this guy who was considered armed and dangerous. Um, I jumped into the middle of the newsroom and said, you know, how can I help? And somebody said, well, why don't you run the Twitter? You know, <laughs> And at the time, I think I had uh, five Twitter followers, which I, I think most of them were members of my family, and then maybe the one person who had set me up on Twitter. And like many people my age, um, I considered it to just be a place where people posted pictures of their food. Um, but I said, sure, you know, I'll do that. And my role in the middle of the newsroom was to use Twitter to uh, gather information about this manhunt, to, to uh, uh, bring in the various rumors and tips that were being shared on social media, um, then to work with a team of reporters to fact check those, and then to send out what was real and what wasn't real. So. Right away over, I sat there literally, except to get up to go to the bathroom for the next 15 hours and really saw 
Twitter's power as both an information gathering source, as a community building and connecting force, and then, of course, as a broadcast medium. Um, by the end of that day, I had well more than a thousand followers, and it was really a, a key aspect of our reporting. Um, six months later, when we won the Pulitzer Prize for breaking news, it was cited by the judges. It was one piece of a whole array of, of social media and digital tools that we were using at the time. Um, we used a, a tool that no longer exists called Google, Google Wave um, that was a great uh, breaking news tool. But um, those, those things were cited as a major element of, of why we won the Pulitzer, and I was absolutely hooked at that point. So I, I made the decision um, to use Twitter at that point as a, a purely a professional social network and to keep Facebook as, as my personal social network. And uh, for the time that I was at the Seattle Times, I used it very much um, journalistically um, to, to point people to interesting things that my reporters were doing primarily. I imagine your use of that platform is a, a little bit different today in quite a different role for you. Yeah, very much so. And, and let me let me say one other thing. It was interesting and it might be surprising that, you know, as recently as 2013, when I was still working at the paper, I was at that point one of the very few top editors in the country who was consistently using Twitter. And by that point, I probably had about 5,000 uh, followers. Um, and so, yeah, I came here. Um, I, I responded to a headhunter call and, and fell in love with this opportunity and decided to, to take the leap of, of coasts and careers in the fall of 2013 and was immediately faced with this decision of, okay, what, what do I do with Twitter now? Um, I don't see any other deans at Temple using it. Maybe it's something that isn't done. You know, I had to learn that I had to wear a tie to work. So maybe I had to learn that I didn't do Twitter anymore. But I thought, you know, why not? This is, it's where our students are. It's a great way for me to both stay in touch with um, the journalistic community. I still am very uh, active uh, in in journalism and in the discipline uh, through a variety of roles. I'm, I'm the chair of something called the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press. I'm the chair of another group called the Solutions Journalism Network. So I feel uh, in my academic role, my connection with the industry is very important. And then I also thought um, as, as a dean of a, of a large standalone college with more than 3,000 students, 150 faculty, it was probably the best way for me to communicate directly with the various constituencies. And it's proven to be so, I think. Have you had to maybe adapt the type of material that you publish, the tone of voice that you use? Uh, have you created almost a, a new filter for yourself since becoming Dean of Temple? Um, a little bit. I try not to, uh, I mean, I, I try to be genuine. And, and I think, I'm the same person I was before. I mean, certainly I'm, I'm tweeting to some degree out tweeting. I'm sorry, to some degree I'm tweeting out different sorts of things. Um, certainly much more temple centric, um, much more Philadelphia centric than Seattle centric as it was before. But uh, you know, I'm always looking for things that are uh, that are. Uh, interesting and pertain very strongly to uh, communication, journalism, 
um, leading people to, to things I think they ought to see. And then uh, community building within the Klein College community, you know, pointing uh, to special things that our students and faculty are doing, trying to raise awareness about very initi various initiatives we have. Um, you know, it, it, I have an advantage maybe uh, over people who are coming either through the academy or from another industry in that as a dean, you certainly have to be, uh, particularly in a public university, you have to be really sensitive to political points of view. Um, and that was the case when I was a newspaper editor. You know, I, I, by nature, did not take a strong political point of view publicly, and I don't now either. Um, now, I'm unafraid to take on the current administration when it comes to issues of First Amendment rights, um, just as I did with the Obama administration, but I won't take a political position generally on, uh, on issues. You mentioned when you came to Temple in the fall of 2013 that you know, there weren't a lot of other deans on, on Twitter. You were adjusting to, to the different lifestyle of this role. Was there a time when you maybe seriously considered privatizing your, your Twitter uh, handle or, or just dropping the network altogether? Yeah, probably for about 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I right away I thought, you know, I have a persona here. Um, I, I like it. I, I don't want to fall off the map in terms of the industry I'm coming from. Um, and it's an opportunity to introduce myself uh, to this new community I'm coming into. How do you handle the at replies, direct messages that I'm sure you get as an academic dean from alumni or current students, even staff and faculty? You're obviously a very busy person. Your, your schedule is nonstop from, from early morning to late at night. Uh, are you focused mainly on just publishing messages that you find interesting to give people a look at who you are? Or do you try to prioritize responding to tweets? No, I very much, I very much prioritize engaging. I, I think that's, otherwise you're not really using the medium the way it, it, it's most powerful. So I absolutely do. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I could easily sit there and be engaged with Twitter for 12 hours a day or 24 hours a day. You know, I try to do it every few hours. Um, just to see what's going on in the news, but then also to see, is there something I need to engage with? And, and I do. And, and it's been really fruitful uh, in terms of uh, making connections with students. Um, you know, I, I didn't have to make a decision early on the degree to which I was going to prioritize student engagement. Um, some deans make the decision not to do that um, for good reason. Um, for me, it was really important to do that. So again, social media is a really important way to, to get to do that. And I found the students and the community are, are responsive to, um, to the level that I'll, I'll say with, um, I guess as a humble brag, that I'm, I, I was uh, named by the Temple Communications people as the number one person on campus to follow on Twitter. So I guess it's getting some attention. Yeah, I think you need to put that in your Twitter bio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mentioned students, alumni, some deans don't uh, actively engage me with current students. Is there a particular subgroup in the Temple community that is more active or more engaging with you? Well, absolutely. The, the, the students and, and alums who come from this college. Um, but then also I, I found that people in certain uh, outward-facing offices of the university. So... 
admissions and recruitment, um, people in uh, alumni relations. I mean, they, I think they really like that there's another person reaching out to the community. And, you know, I retweet them, they retweet me. And, you know, it's a, there's a synergy there that I think is really helpful. But yeah, most of my Twitter community at Temple is our people from this college. Speaking of admissions or alumni relations, are, are there times, can you describe maybe the working relationship that you have with them when it comes to your own Twitter? Is it very ad hoc and informal? Do they occasionally maybe come to you and, and ask for particular help in spreading the word about a particular yeah, event? Yeah, well, particularly the, the um, communications people in our college absolutely do. Um, you know, they, they will always reach out to me in advance saying, you know, we're going to be putting this out. We're going to be issuing this press release, this statement. Will you tweet it? Um, because in many cases they know I might get more attention than, than they will uh, alone. Um, so, and, and to some degree the, the university uh, does that as well. You know, I do have a, a, just as we're sitting here, it occurs to me, I have a couple of great anecdotes uh, about how Twitter has been helpful uh, here at Temple. Um, one was I actually recruited a star student on Twitter. Um, there was a, a young woman named Jillian McGoldrick, and um, she was the editor of the school paper at Neshaminy High School, and they got a lot of, a na of national attention. Their uh, sports mascot was the Redskins. And she, as editor of the paper, refused to publish the name Redskins in stories about the sports team in protest of, of using that name. Um, the administration and the school board ordered her to do so um, in such stories. So the next thing she did was she left just a big blank space where the sports story would be. Um, really courageous, uh, creative young woman, and she won a national award from the National Student Press Law Center. When I saw that, um, I found her on Twitter and I tweeted at her um, something to the effect of, you know, have you chosen a college yet? And and you know, please think about Temple. And she got back to me and and she hadn't been thinking about Temple at the time. She was being recruited by lots of big name schools around the country. We got her to tour on campus. We put together a great package for her and, and she came here. So, um, And then recently, uh, similarly with a, a really well-known uh, professor named Mark Lamont Hill, um, who's coming into an endowed chair here, the first contact I made with him was reaching out to him on Twitter. So it, it's, it's got lots of power. I want to return to prospective students if we could, because I think when current students follow you or send you a tweet or alumni, there's some kind of tidbit in their Twitter bio or something that might indicate to you that they're in the Temple community. But for prospective students, that might not be so obvious. So how do you handle seeing messages or seeing followers that may be admitted students or prospective students, uh, are you just waiting for them to reach out to you and, and indicate that status before you engage? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really depends. I mean, where, where it's clear to me that somebody is really interested in Temple, you know, I might engage with them or, um, you know, just send them a bit of information about, you know, welcome day or, 
or something that's uh, that's coming up that they can learn more about Temple. Um, as I said, you know, with that one most dramatic example, there are times when I've actually reached out to to recruit people. But um, you know, usually, you know, I'm I'm not going to get in their face or in their space unless invited to. Hmm. You mentioned earlier in this episode you know, this balancing act between Twitter and then Facebook being a little more personal for you. You mentioned to me that that balance is maybe shifting or is uh, that clear delineation is being threatened a little bit. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I've now uh, I've now been here for four years and the class that we just graduated started at Temple when I did in the fall of 2013. And so um, I've come to know many of those students quite well. And I consider them friends and they consider me friends and, and a friend. And I've, and I've always drawn the line. I use Facebook much differently than, um, than some other people do in that I, I don't accept friend invitations except from people I truly consider real life friends. Um, and so now I'm routinely getting invitations from these students um, some of many of whom are graduating, some of whom are current students, and I'm having to navigate that and make this decision of, okay, is it smart to accept them as fa- Facebook friends? Um, is that too intimate? Will they see aspects of, I mean, there's, I don't, I don't put anything on Facebook that I would be ashamed to admit. You're not going to find me at drunken parties or anything, but, um, but I might find them at drunken parties. You know, there's just this, uh, so I, I don't have a clear delineation anymore there. And, um, and I have accepted friend invitations from many of them. And, and actually it's been gratifying. I feel like I've come to know them better and, and can help them. Um, in some ways that I might not be able to otherwise, but it, it's it's a little bit tricky. I imagine long term that's probably beneficial to the school in, in terms of keeping relationships, keeping open communication with alumni as they progress through their careers in a way that is, you mentioned, much more intimate than yeah. Twitter. Long term, I think it's going to be great because you know, assuming I'm in this role for some years to come, to be able to keep those uh, really active um, and vibrant connections with our alums, uh, nothing can match that. I mentioned that, that you're a bit of a rarity among academic deans, not just the Temple, but across the country, uh, and that you are so authentically uh, active on a social media platform, never mind you know a few social media platforms. What do you think holds other academic deans back or senior administration back from being more active on social media? Well, you know, my, my experience, I, w- I would say two things really stand out for me as um, very big differences from the business world and, and higher education. And I think both of these have an impact uh, on engagement with social media. The first is that um, higher ed- in, in, in most of the business world, at least as an ideal, it's understood that your recognition, your compensation is a function of your contribution to a commonly understood set of collective goals. And, and the emphasis today more than ever is put on collaboration and teamwork. In the academy, particularly for scholars, from the day they go into a PhD program, the emphasis is on my research, my tenure. It's a very solitary um, 
individual pursuit in a lot of ways. And, and if a scholar has a colleague, uh, it might be this person at Purdue who studies what they study, not the person in the next office. So the whole idea of social engagement is to some degree, I think, anathema with the culture. So that's part of it, um, generally, I think, for academics. And then for, uh, for deans and administrators, the other cultural aspect that I think is a real impediment is uh, there is tremendous aversion to risk in higher education. And there's risk associated with social media engagement. There's no question about it. It's safer to not do it. Um, I think the, when, you, when I do a risk analysis, to me, it's worth the risk. But I, I think that's the primary impediment. That and the fact that these jobs are enormously busy and each dean has to make a calculation of how his or her time is best spent. Um, in my case, I, you know, I made that decision that it was time well spent, and I believe that, but somebody else might come to a different conclusion. For someone who is open to it, but maybe just not ready to you know, jump in with both feet, what kind of advice would you give to them about, and let's say Twitter in particular, about maybe creating a, a creating an instance and, and becoming active? Well, I think for a, a, dean, a dean who's newly into it, I think the key would be really close association with um, the communication people in your school or college. Um, that's a good way to get started slowly um, and, and you know, to, to create some synergy there. I think the most important thing, though, is uh, something you mentioned. I mean, it's really to be authentic. Um, if you're and, and, and to, you know, to, to reveal some of yourself, you know, the things that you're interested in, um, you know, th- what you retweet from the things you read and the people you follow. Over time, you begin to develop a, a clear description of yourself. And, and I think actually that students and faculty respond to that, these, in part because these jobs are so busy and they can seem so remote. I think anything we can do to, to sort of show our humanity and, and then to underscore um, those things that we think are most important in, in scholarship, uh, in, in uh, current events, in culture, uh, I think it's a, it can be a really powerful tool that way. And you just mentioned the authenticity bit again. Do you think that this is something that deans or senior administration can be taught to do? Can they be taught or trained to be active on social media? Or is, does there have to be at least some level of self-interest for it to be successful? Um, I think both. I mean, I think there absolutely has to be some level of self-interest. If, if you don't believe that it's worthwhile, then don't even start. Um, but I would say give it a try, just as I did you know, in 2009 when I didn't you know, when I thought it was about people posting pictures of their food. Um, but somebody asked me to do it. They thought there was value in it. And over a 15-hour period, I saw the value in it. And then in the eight years since, I've certainly seen the value in it. Well, Dean Borman, thank you so much for, for joining the Hashtag Higher Ed uh, podcast. Before we let you go, a couple housekeeping matters to, to take care of. Uh, first of all, tell our listeners where they can find you on Twitter. Uh, they can find me at, at DL Boardman, B-O-A-R-D-M-A-N. 
And each week, of course, you know, we ask our guests to give a social shout out to a few colleagues or individuals uh, that they feel deserve more recognition of their work. And I believe you came with a couple individuals in mind. Yeah. Um, the first one I want to call out is our, our newest faculty member. He's joining us uh, this fall. Um, he's coming uh, most recently from Morehouse College. Uh, he's a gentleman who grew up uh, just a few blocks from Temple, actually attended Temple, um, and now is one of the, the nation's uh, leading uh, public intellectuals. You've seen him on CNN. He's got his own show on BET, and he's at Mark Lamont Hill, M-A-R-C-L-A-M-O-N-T Hill. Um, next is a fairly new faculty member. She's in the College of Education. Um, she's somebody who gets a lot of attention for uh, strong points of view, particularly around higher education financing and financial aid. Um, her name is Sarah Goldrick Rabb, and it's at S-A-R-A-G-O-L-D-R-I-C-K-R-A-B. And then uh, finally is uh, a journalism a scholar who's at uh, George Washington University and uh, one of the people I really enjoy following and her name is Nikki Usher and it's at N-I-K-K-I-U-S-H-E-R. Excellent. Well, Dean Borman, thank you again so much. I know really enjoyed this conversation. I know our listeners will as well. So thank you very much for joining me on Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast. Thanks for having me.